0: The story of the nativity contains eight different appearances from angels. I don't know if there's any other portion of scripture that so heavily has such a dense appearance of angels. And it's interesting to think about what must have been the thoughts of these heavenly hosts as they observed the birth of Jesus. It's an interesting perspective to consider. We think about Mary's perspective or Joseph's or the wise men. What about the angels? And this in fact ties us together with a very important biblical theme because Christmas does not just commemorate the coming of the Savior of men, but the Savior of all creation, the restorer of all things, both visible and invisible. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, It says that God, through Christ, was making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan in Christ was to bring things in heaven and on earth together. And so at the Nativity, we see angels everywhere. In this scene where the heavens opened up and the angels sang, we gain a foretaste, a pre-picture of the union that Christ would bring between the earthly and the heavenly. So in order to understand this, we need to take the time to ask a very basic question. What is an angel? (laughs) This might seem very obvious, but a poor understanding of what an angel is can lead to scoffing from others and it can lead to embarrassment from us too. You mean you believe in one of those fat little babies with wings flying around and well well no The word angel is angelos or angelos in Greek and it just means messenger and it is a biblical catch-all term for any personal spiritual being that we see There's a there's a psalm that is making reference to angels and gives us a nice Description of them here. It says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. So angels, we see there that they're mighty. They have mighty power. They do His word, obeying the voice of the Lord. It calls them hosts. Now, if you're a, a medieval fantasy fan, you know what a host is it's an army his hosts and his ministers that word means servant so they are the servants the soldiers of the lord mighty ones who do his will we are material we're physical we have matter we have bodies bible calls that the flesh we are alive in the visible world angels are spirit and they inhabit the invisible. The Bible will make that comparison sometimes between what is seen and what is unseen. And it uses the term heavenlies, plural, the heavens or the heavenlies. And we in our, the way we typically say it, we think of heaven, we think, you know, the the shiny white place where God lives. But the Bible uses that term much more broadly. It can refer to the skies as the heavens. It can refer to space as the heavens or the heavenly places. It can just refer to the spirit in opposition to the the flesh. It says that we are now seated with Christ Jesus. And you go, no, I'm not. Well, it says in the heavenlies, that in Christ, in the spirit, you are seated with him. So while we dwell in this physical world, but we have interaction with the spirit, likewise, the angels dwell in the spiritual, but they have interaction with what is physical. So these are spiritual, personal, Right? They have names, they have identities, they make choices, they do God's work and will and speak. They are spiritual beings given duties to accomplish in the spiritual world, like soldiers or servants. And we see over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God uses angels to accomplish his will. And you say, well, isn't God powerful enough to do it without angels? Yes, but isn't he powerful to do all the things he's asked you to do without your help? But he uses you to do it. Why? Because he's trying to train you up and teach you and mature you and grow you. And the same goes for his heavenly hosts. And I might also add, that's the way that God chose to make the world. He wanted to fill it with people, spiritual and physical people, to do his work. So yes, he can do it all by fiat, as we would say, just with a word. But very often, most of the time, he uses messengers, whether that's us or angels. They bring messages quite a bit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They execute judgment very often in the Old Testament. There's, in the book of Exodus, the angel of death that brought the plague upon the people. David encountered the angel of death as well. They engage in warfare. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Now let's talk about this. What does an angel look like? Well, they're spiritual, so they don't have physical matter, the Bible tells us. In fact, it says that they are winds. The Bible calls them flames of fire. That, that is, they, they flicker. They're sent to do what God has called them to do. But when people see angels in the Bible, yes, sometimes they look like men. Sometimes they look like men with wings, which is typically how we think about it. But there's some crazy-looking angels in the Bible, if you take the time to read it. There's some in heaven that have four faces. They've got a face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. There's some that have six wings. With two, they cover their face, with two, they cover their feet, and with two, they fly. There's some that they're wheels. They're wheels within wheels, full of eyes, and they serve to be the wheels of God's chariot as He moves in the Spirit. There's even, of course, getting to fallen angels now. There's demons that are described as frogs or locusts. That the appearance of these things is pretty radical. In fact, the first thing an angel always says to a person when He appears to them is what? Don't be afraid, right? Why? Because they're afraid. Read Daniel. Daniel passed out two or three times when he saw angels and they had to strengthen him. So those are God's messengers. And I've already touched on this, but just as there are wicked men, there are wicked angels under the rule of the chief fallen angel who's called Satan and the devil. There's a passage in Revelation that describes this. Revelation 12, 3 through 4 says there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, which is a symbol of Satan. We know from context there and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And that's believed, and I would agree with this, that that is a depiction of the fall of Satan. That when he came, he took a third of the stars. The stars are a very, very common symbol of angels in the Bible. It'll use it in parallels. You angels, you stars in the heavens. So whether that that third is intended to be specific proportion or just that there was a lot of them. Satan, when he fell, brought Angels with him who went after him, and we now call them fallen angels or demons, although the Bible is not always so specific in its term. It will refer to Satan and his angels, for example. And it's not exactly told us why, other than there was pride. Satan wanted the worship that God had. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will receive worship of the Lord. And he brought his, his fallen angels with him. And in fact, if you, if you spend the time to think about it, it's entirely possible that it was the creation of man itself that precipitated the fall of Satan. Because he saw what God was doing with these measly little physical beings. Look at them. They can only be in one place. They, they have to move all the way through space to get somewhere. They can't just flicker like a flame like we do. Look how small and weak they are. They're, they're all fleshy. And, and what's this about? And the Lord said, they're my special creation and I'm going to make this whole world for them. And Satan goes... They ought to be serving you. Well, they are serving me, and you're going to serve them. I will do no such thing. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details on that, but pride certainly seems to have been a part of it. For that reason, Satan and his demonic angels work to undermine everything that God does. The Bible calls him over and over again the accuser, the tempter. He says, I'm going to show you, God, what these people are really like. They're not worthy to have all the blessings that you've poured out on them. And For this reason, angels of both kinds, fallen and God's angels, are spoken of in terms of military rank. Daniel chapter 10 goes in detail talking about the princes of nations, the demonic, angelic princes of nations. Paul, when he refers to principalities and powers, these are terms of spiritual rank in the heavenly places. So we only see the physical nature of the world, but there is more. Elisha knew this. In 2 Kings chapter 6, he had his servant be able to see what was going on in the spirit and it said he saw thousands and thousands of flaming chariots surrounding the city. He was able to see what was going on in the spirit, not just in the physical. For that reason, the fall of man is tied to the fall of Satan. That the world that God has made, this earth, is constantly interacting between flesh and spirit And the redemption of Jesus Christ could not just bring salvation to people, but there had to be something done in the spirit, in the heavenlies as well. Because it was not just the physical, the flesh that was broken, it was the spirit too. So knowing that, let's take a fresh look at the story of Jesus' birth. Knowing that all this is going on behind the scenes, let's take a fresh look at this here. We're going to look at all eight of these appearances of angels in Jesus' story. The first one appeared to Zechariah when he was in the, in the temple. He was offering incense. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him, Your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's a term that means promised one. The one that God's been saying is going to come and fix all this. He's coming, and your son is going to be the one to be his herald. And Zechariah starts arguing with this angel. I don't know if I'd argue with an angel personally, but... Gabriel struck him mute. He said, fine, if that's how you're going to use your mouth, you're not going to get to use your mouth until this baby is born. That's the first appearance of an angel. And of course, John the Baptist was born out of that situation. The second one, that same angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. We all know Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph. She was still a virgin. And the angel said, you are going to have a baby. And he is going to be that coming Messiah. John is going to be the one to go ahead of him, but this is actually going to be the son of God himself. There's going to be no union between you and your husband. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth for a little bit, who kind of probably soothes her conscience some. But then she comes back, and she's very clearly pregnant. So what is Joseph, her fiancé, supposed to do? And I said that he was a just man. He didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to have her put to death. So he thought, let's just end this quietly and we'll move on. But the third angel appeared to him. He said, don't be afraid. Marry her. Take Mary as your wife and don't worry, I'll take care of the rest. So there's, of course, that great scandal that, that would have gone on. And Jesus' birth was not exactly auspicious as far as we might say. So far, we can see that these angels, and it might just be the same one, it might just be Gabriel, announcing the birth of the king of Israel. You can sense their anticipation. There's the frustration that Gabriel has with Zechariah. Like, Don't you get what's about to happen? And you're sitting here saying you're an old man? You think God can't overcome that? The angels were excited. And who knows how much they really understood about what was about to happen. But they knew that the time had come and that they were, got the privilege to announce it. And then we get to Luke chapter 2. Joseph and Mary are finding no room in the inn. They have to go stay in the stable. And contrary to what most of our nativity scenes m- must have shown, it uh, probably was not just them. There are probably a lot of people crammed into this nasty little stable. She's about to give birth to her baby. No anesthetic, right? No, nothing like that. The town is filled. It's full of loud people angry about their taxes that they've got to pay. And out in the fields to the shepherds, we get this story, you know it. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, the one angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So here you've got one angel who appears to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shines all around them. So this night goes from night to day very quickly. And he announces the birth of Jesus and then a multitude of the heavenly host. And it doesn't say they sang, although verse 14 is in poetic form. So they probably either sang it or just announced it. This is a whole army singing right now. Glory to God in the highest. And that's that Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo, that we sing. Celebrating the birth of Christ. Earth and heaven are united in one amazing moment of praise. What do you think the buzz was like in the angelic community after this? What do you what do you think is gonna happen next? What do you think is gonna happen? He's a little, he's a little baby. Like do you think they like, hey, you know, usually I'm I'm supposed to be keeping watch over this part of the of the world. Can I come and see the baby that was just born? Can I get someone to cover my shift so I can go to Bethlehem and, and see the baby? Well, a few years later, the wise men come to see baby Jesus and they followed a star. And the Bible doesn't say this, so I don't want to push it. But very often, as I said in the Bible, a star is a reference to an angel. So it could have been that this was an angelic reference here, but I'm not going to push that. The point is they come to see baby Jesus and King Herod wants that baby dead. So the fifth appearance of an angel is when the wise men were warned in a dream to go home a different way. Don't go back to Herod. You do not want to be complicit in what is about to happen. The sixth angelic appearance was when they came to Joseph and they warned him, get out of here. You've got to go to Egypt because Herod is going to come and order all of the two-year-old boys and younger to be executed. We've got a few of those here in this room. He said, you've got to get out of here. What must that have been like? I mean, think what's going on in the invisible here? Because in the physical we know what's going on, but Satan just saw the birth of, of the Messiah, the one that's going to crush his head. So what is he doing? He's stirring up wicked men to do wicked things. I mean, you, you just go and tell a bunch of soldiers, go out and kill a bunch of little babies. I think, how could they do that? Y'all, it was demonic. This was, this was not normal human behavior. We're going to go out and slaughter these little babies. I don't know which one is the one I want dead, so go kill them all. Meanwhile, the angels are tasked to preserve the Messiah. And maybe they think, you know what? We're going to be overwhelmed if we stay here. We've got to get them out of here. We've got to get them to Egypt, which of course fulfilled prophecy. Angels working to get the family out just in time. The seventh time is when they came to Joseph in Egypt and they told him it was safe to go home. Herod has died and you can return. And the eighth was when they warned him, don't go back to Bethlehem, go to Galilee. Galilee was north of Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem and Judea. So this was out of the way and he's probably not going to, his son is not going to be able to get to him there. They're, They're essentially hiding the Messiah. They're taking him to a backwater where he can never be found. You've got to consider the the stealth here, the angelic intrigue going on. You know there was a vanguard of angels protecting them as they crossed the wilderness to go to Egypt, hiding them there, hiding them in Galilee, keeping a watchful vigil over the Messiah. It's important to know that there are two dimensions at play here in the story of Jesus Christ's birth. And there's two stories going on in your life too. And you know the angels were not done with Jesus after his birth. They ministered to him in the wilderness after he had been fasting for 40 days and faced temptation from Satan. They strengthened him in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And it says that there was an angel that rolled the stone away from the tomb. How'd you like to be the angel that got that job? You know, they've got to be wondering "What, what is happening? What's happened? He's dead. They killed him. I didn't even know they could kill him. How is this possible? And then the Lord calls one up and he says, Go roll away the stone. Oh, yes, sir. And it says that, that that moment, the earth shook and a bright light shone and all those, those soldiers fell down. These big burly Roman soldiers fell when they saw this angel. And then he sat on the stone. I always liked that part. He's like, ha ha all right, I'm staying right here. We even see that Jesus went, the Bible says, and proclaimed defeat to the demons that are in prison. That's a whole other thing to get into, but there's a place the Bible describes called the abyss. It's a bottomless pit where demons that go so far beyond normal evil, you might say, that God imprisons them. 1 Peter 3.19 says Jesus went and preached to them. He wasn't preaching the gospel. He was preaching, you've lost. Everything you were trying to do has been thwarted. Colossians 2.15 says that he put down every principality and power and put them to open shame. Jesus embarrassed them by his resurrection. In the in book of 1 Timothy, when Paul is describing what the gospel is, he includes as one of the pieces that Jesus was seen by angels. Seen by angels. What's that all about? This is important because we, we hear this a lot in the New Testament, that the angels saw what was going on with Jesus. Why does that matter? What did they see? Well, Hebrews 2.9 tells us this. We see him, Jesus Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You know, there's an Old Testament description of Jesus where he's called the angel of the Lord. There are descriptions of a certain angel in the Old Testament that go so far beyond what a normal angel would do. He receives worship. He speaks for the Lord in the first person, which is something that you see later angels refuse to do. Right? John fell down to worship an angel, and that angel said, Get up, I'm just a servant just like you. But the angel of the Lord with a capital A in the Old Testament, he'll receive sacrifice. He'll receive praise and prayers. There's a w- wonderful little passage in Zechariah where it describes the angel of the Lord riding on a horse with a, with a mounted company of angels, riding throughout the world to see what was going on and to see if the land was ready to receive the exiles back. I love that. That Jesus, or he wasn't called Jesus yet, the Son of God, right? The Word, the Logos, was riding with his angelic armies, the commander-in-chief of those armies. And then they saw him become a baby. Their captain, their commander, the one that struck fear into the heart of every demon in heaven and earth. They watched him squalling in the indignity of a humble birth. Wow, what do you think they thought about that? See, so like, look at him. What? He's just a little baby. He, I, I, I knew he was going to become a man, but I assumed he'd come down as like some bodybuilder with a sword and long flowing. No, he's a little baby. He's, he's squalling. He's crying. They watched him grow and struggle as a little kid. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Somebody in the Bible said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Rough part of town. Think the part of town you wouldn't want to live in. That's where Jesus grew up. You don't think some angel watched Jesus get knocked down by some older kid one day and the angel's like, Lord, can I I smite him with my fiery sword? It's like, no, no, no. He's got to go through this. They watched him preach the gospel to people who rejected it. What do you think these angels thought? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and these people say, we don't want anything to do with you. because we be thinking, what is wrong with you people? Don't you know what's going on? They watched Jesus exercise authority even over fallen angels, driving them out with a word. And they watched him die a horrible death on the cross. What do you think those orders were like coming down from the Lord? Whatever happens in the next day, you are to do nothing. You are to let it happen. We've all seen, I'm sure, or read the Chronicles of Narnia when there's the scene with Aslan being killed and he's surrounded by all these nasty monsters and things. That's probably what it was like in the spirit when Jesus was being crucified. Every horrific demon and fallen angel was there jeering and mocking and pushing the soldiers to do one thing worse. Hit him one more time. Say this horrible thing. It'll break his heart. Taunting him in the spirit. And the angels had to stand back and do nothing. Jesus did what Satan and his fallen angels had refused to do. He humbled himself. I'm willing to go and serve these people. I'm willing not only to serve them, I'm willing to become one of them. I'm willing to step down and take on the form of a servant, Philippians 2 says. The ultimate humiliation, going from the throne room of heaven to a little manger. Didn't even have a a crib to put the baby in they had to put him in the feeding trough but by that philippians 2 says that he gained a greater glory even than he had before is it possible for god to increase in glory apparently so because it says jesus did in philippians chapter 2 not a, he shared in our humanity he brought us into the conversation he redeemed us from the pit And 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says that we have been exalted with him and that someday we will judge angels. By redeeming people like us, God demonstrated his love, which Satan knew nothing of. And apparently a lot of the angels didn't get either. They couldn't understand it. And perhaps even the angels that still serve the Lord don't understand. I'll serve you, Lord, because you're Lord, but I don't get it. I don't understand There's three verses that I want to read to you very quickly, just pieces of them. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 says that we who are saved are a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. God is making a spectacle to the angels of the church. 1 Peter 1.12 says that the gospel contains things into which angels long to look. There are aspects of your salvation that the angels look at that and say, I wish I could understand what that really means. And Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the coming ages, God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The coming ages. Well, the grace is to us. So who is he showing that grace to in the coming ages? To his heavenly host. He's teaching them something. What God began at Christmas, he's continuing right now by demonstrating his grace and his glory, not just for our benefit, but for their benefit to see who it is. Those that cheered and rejoiced, the Bible says, when he created the world. But then a great number of them rebelled when they saw what he was going to do with that world. Those who remained in faith, you might say. He says, I'm going to show you who I am and what my love and my grace and my mercy is all about. Which is why now the mission that you and I are on to spread the gospel around the world is not just a human mission. It's an angelic one, too. The first thing we see after Jesus ascended was two angels showed up and they told the apostles, Jesus is coming back, but you got to get back to Jerusalem like he told you. we got some work to do. In the book of Acts, over and over again, we see angels coming in to assist the church. Some angels broke Peter out of prison. And it's actually very interesting because they keep telling him to hurry. Why? Were the guards coming? No, the guards couldn't see him. There was demonic opposition. We've got to go. It's a fight. It's a battle. Paul says that We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says our our true mission isn't in the physical. It's not these people. Our enemy are those fallen angels. And in Revelation, it gives us a big, full picture of the partnership between God's people and the angels working together to bring about salvation for as many as possible. Revelation says after the rapture, when everything is just falling to pieces, God will have three angels that he commissions to fly around the world preaching the gospel. God goes, everybody's going to hear this message, and I'm going to get my angels in on it too. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they, meaning angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What does that mean? He's saying, the angels are there to help you. And in Hebrews chapter 1, he's telling them, don't get all obsessed and weird about angels and worshiping them and placing them on top. They're there to serve you. Through us today, God is showing his heavenly hosts his love, his grace, his power, and his wisdom. And on that final day, Jesus is going to return. It says, not just with his saints, but with his heavenly angels too. We will all be together returning for Christ to establish his kingdom. The final rebellion will be crushed. Satan and his angels will be cast into hell, the Bible says. And God will in that day not only have saved us, he will have demonstrated to his angels that no one can stop his love. No one can thwart his redemption. And no one is worthy of praise other than he. And all of that came together in one glorious moment when a bunch of shepherds saw the angels over Bethlehem. When they announced, glory to God, this is it. The one that's going to bring about all this redemption has just been born. In Christ Jesus, heaven and earth meet. The weak are made strong. Humility leads to glory, which is why he came as a baby. As I read earlier, he was making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Everything is to be united under the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. What is invisible and what is visible. And through us, you're like, well, I don't know how I, how I feel about being just a, a, a lesson that God is trying to teach his angels. Well, I'm fine with it because it meant my salvation. My salvation. The redemption from the sin that had corrupted my life. It was a fallen angel that tempted us to sin. And so the Lord said, all right, we're going to have to fix this. And he did. You yourself are a demonstration to the heavens of the saving power of God. When God holds you up and says, you see this man? Do you know what he was? Do you know what I've done for him through my grace? The foolishness of Satan who said, there's nothing to be done for these people. And God goes, oh, just watch this. The angels at Christmas time are not just nice decorations. They're a reminder of the invisible side of salvation. And as we labor in this life, we've got to remember that we are surrounded by messengers. Watchers is another word the Bible uses to describe them. Who are in awe of what God has done in saving the world through his son, Jesus Christ. So when the Lord opened up the heavens and allowed us to catch a glimpse of what was going on on the other side... It was his reminder that he says, I'm not just here to save you. I'm going to save everything. Visible, invisible, fleshly, spiritual, heaven and earth brought together in that little baby boy born all those years ago.